to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for the established church leaders by established church leaders, namely myself, Josh, Sam, who is in Florida, and Micah, who is in Tennessee. What are you guys doing? Me? Are you sure that we're in Tennessee and Florida, Josh? Uh, I mean, no. Are you sure I'm in Arkansas? <laughs> we, well, you're the one saying it. We didn't say you were in Arkansas. <laughs> they hail from such places. Um, I mean, actually, I don't live in Tennessee, Josh. <laughs> that's right. You're in Georgia. I live in Georgia. Which, no, I'm just messing Tennessee. with you. I am. I am actually. I'm in Georgia right now because I'm at the house today. Oh, all right. Yeah. Sam, are you in the great state of Florida? I, I don't ever leave unless I just absolutely have well, to. Well, why would you? I mean, it's I, just so nice. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. No, I'm actually following this whole drama with the Tampa Bay Rays. I know it's the off season. I know uh, nobody else was, cares, but I'm yeah. So, I, I, Sam, care. I texted you about it yesterday. Sam, Sam you during did. the season, nobody cares about the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> and, you know, I don't even know anything about baseball. I do know that... Uh, the Rangers, which would be my team if I cared, have new powder blue unis. Uniforms, uh, that yeah. launched Dean yesterday. and Sarah does not improve, uh, approve. Our, our he doesn't Dean approve of anything. But um, as far as you know, departure from which I typically agree with them. Um, but these are kind of throwbacky, and uh, Rangers used to have that. I think they look kind of cool in some ways. So, um, hey, did you guys see the map? Uh, from Business Insider about the nations of the United States. The 11 different regions of the U.S., yeah, like basically yeah. 11 separate nations inside the U.S. I did see that. Now, that that's old news, right? I, I just saw it in the last week or two. I mean, oh. there's always been these uh, maps that float out there, but uh, I thought it confirmed a lot of what, you know, Sam, you talk about where South Florida was a whole different thing. Um, the South was interesting. We in Arkansas, we as Texans do not agree with being kind of lumped into West Virginia, Kentucky. That's just <laughs> such a different. <laughs> you know, I pulled up the map. Us. This is old news. This has been around a while, but yeah, I can imagine that Texans do not appreciate being part of Greater Appalachia. Texans, <laughs> Oklahoma, West Arkansas, t- parts of Tennessee um, are very similar, but Kentucky, West Virginia, I just don't see it. I mean, Micah, you're you're Tennessean, uh, mm-hmm. West Virginia. Y'all, you guys know them, y'all. I mean, so I can see maybe this is the area. thing about Tennessee. Like, I mean, they've gotten most of Tennessee lumped together, and I, I think the you know, East Tennessee, Far East Tennessee, Appalachia is very similar to West Virginia, very similar to Kentucky, mm-hmm. Virginia, North Carolina. Um, but where I'm at is not. As similar culturally to some of that, and I don't. So think I would say far west Tennessee would be south, and the middle there, where Chattanooga, Nashville, like you know your three regions, the middle. Um, I'd put that much more in with. Uh, well, here's the us. thing, Josh. I would say the urban context. You're right, but rural Middle Tennessee is is still very much more like 
rural West Tennessee and East Tennessee. So I, I can see that. I mean, they're trying to make broad categories. Uh, right. You, know, you, you do as well as you can with broad categories. I think that you just brought up an interesting topic. We are still doing the surprise topics. This is going to be Micah's first surprise. Here's the this topic. Is my, by the way, I did want to talk about the fact that, you know, I, I, I listened to last week's episode about how when Big Brother is not around, <laughs> you two do Oh, no, he actually listened. Do. <laughs> I heard you guys causing problems on the episode last yeah. week. <laughs> well, gracefully, we didn't get in trouble until just now, listeners. We, we, we never said anything. Uh, so, here's the surprise topic. Rural established churches. This is um, a topic that was kind of launched into us uh, from Twitter from Jeff Holder and something that we brought up on last week's episode in which uh, we are last, the last episode that aired, um, we kind of talked about 2020 predictions and a lot of feedback that I got through Twitter was um, an appreciation for us to talk about rural churches um, because for a long time, urban churches were the focus and now rural churches are being brought up. So, that's our topic is rural established churches. What what are some of the interesting takes on them? Uh, I've had some questions with people saying it feels like most people consider rural churches to be stepping stones and they, they'll go without other for season, but there's a lot of valid reasons to want to be in a rural context, those sort of things. So what are your thoughts, your immediate first impressions of rural churches? Well, I think some may still view rural churches as a stepping stone and that, I, I think that will always be the case. But I do believe that's changing. Um, the you know the old adage of you know getting to a county seat church you know and being the lead pastor there, senior pastor, whatever. I think a lot of that's fading, and nothing wrong with big county seat churches. Um, but I I do think the the process or the path of getting to a quote unquote prominent ministry position. It has changed dramatically, and, and with that comes a different view of of rural churches. Well, um, before, so I think I think it's still there, but I think it's I think it's changing, and will continue to change. Here's what here's what would be helpful for me, and I think you you two could do this. What what are the categories of churches? If we're going to talk to in this vein here, is it urban and rural, and that's it, no. or is suburban a different category? Oh, suburban's a completely yes. different category, and that Huge that's what I almost category. argued the other day was like. That's and, the one nobody ever talks and, about. And actually, that's one of my pet peeves uh, as a researcher is these suburban churches that – these suburban white churches that claim the urban title. And, and maybe mm -hmm. I'm just being a little overly sensitive, but it, it kind of yeah. cracks me up that, you, you know, a, a church way out in the suburbs would act like they're urban when they're mm -hmm. not. So, so I, is, I do think urban and suburban are completely different categories, and I do believe that rural is, is another category in and of, it, in and of itself. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's still more categories beyond just rural, ur urban, and suburban, to be honest with you. because Oh, oh, sure. There's different cultures, urban, different urban breakdowns, different doctrines. But if, you know, if we're talking yeah, that's right. generalizations again, I mean, I think that's those are right. three, yeah. three ways, one way to generalize the So, church. where are you guys at? What kind of context? In those three, I guess. You know, we – that's a good question for West Bradenton because we're not suburban and we're not urban. Um, the fastest growing segment here is urban – um, but I wouldn't call us an urban church. I call ourselves a neighborhood church, actually. Um, it's coastal Florida. I mean, because we're right, we're all crammed right up against the coast. We're definitely not suburban, but at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say we're urban. I'd say we're coastal. So maybe that's another, another hmm. category in, in itself, too. Michael? Yeah, we're, I mean, so our church physically uh, sits right on the edge of downtown and the suburbs, like we're, we're between, but the vast majority of our people, 
uh, well, that's that's probably not even accurate. I would say a large number of our people are suburban, um, but we do have a fair amount who are urban, but the urban is like young college students, young professionals who have gone down into gentrified urban areas. And so that's why I say even like urban is not a consistent category, right? Mm -hmm. Urban poor is very different from a gentrification context in the urban environment. And so our church would be more suburban or gentrified urban. Mm. Yeah. And we're, we're here in this area, we're just beginning to see the effects of gentrification. Um, and it and it's kind of uh, what's happening actually is our community is getting a lot younger. So, it's a lot of older white people that are being displaced. And I just ran the latest demographics. Uh, twenty. If you do a 20-minute drive time from the church here at West Bradenton, uh, 40%, it was way higher than I thought, 40% are ethnic minorities mm-hmm. that are within a 20-minute drive of our church. So, so here's um, an interesting even, question for both of you guys. How far – do you think the average attender at your church drives to come to church on Sunday morning? 10 minutes, if that. Mo- we draw from right around our church. Okay. What about for you, Josh? Yeah, I would say probably under under 10 minutes. They're most on what we call the west side of Conway. Um, yeah. Which is all very kind of – so, you know, for me, this is the first church that I would say is – technically or like cleanly a suburb conway is clearly a suburb of little rock although they hate they hate that um the and you know statistically more people drive into conway than leave conway for work every day so that's a factor the other suburbs quote unquote suburbs that i served at are in in dallas were dynamically different because it was urban sprawl it was happening so fast you know, you're talking about neighborhoods of a thousand homes are popping up what feels like overnight in cow pastures. Yesterday, this was rural. Today, there's three super Walmarts. And so that kind of feel was very fluid, kind of like the fluidity of the urban context. This is a very like fastly becoming suburb. People are all moving out to that area. But at the same time, there's a large portion of the church that has been there for 30, 40 years, you know, those sort of things. So um, I would say very close in Conway, it's a confined area. We have a river on one side and a highway on the other side and mm-hmm. our church pulls from right there. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yes. what would be, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, see, this is where our, our church is different. And this is why I think it makes it harder for us to categorize our church. Cause I think our average member or attender drives somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes, um, to come. Right. So when we're talking uh, so, about churches like a rural church, let's say, are we saying where the church is or where the people live? Because see, if you're I think that's a, part of the category. That's, okay. a, that's a really good point, Josh. Yeah. I mean, that's another uh, – another because I can point to churches that are in urban contexts and everyone is driving into the church from the suburb. Right. Or so there, there are like, two cultures. You have the culture around the church in the community and you have the culture in the church. And a lot of times those two cultures clash. Right. Another example would be a, a larger church or a fast-growing church on the edge of the suburbs that are pulling from a predominantly rural area that are all yeah. coming in. Absolutely. So, you see that as well. It's I, I, Clearly, these categories of rural, suburban, and urban are not clear cut. But you, in right. order to have a conversation, you, you do have that's to right. generalize a little bit. So, so, to all of our listeners, we do understand there is a 
lot of nuance in this conversation. We're just kind of getting it started, I guess. So, in general, what are people talking about when they're talking about the rural church? How do you describe that, define that? We've we've talked a lot about suburb and urban. What would you do rural-wise? What's, what's so, the community population? What's so the agriculture? Rural, to me, is a culture. It's a community size and it's geography. Throw some of those out there. What do you got? Like an hour drive to retail? Like an hour drive to the major retail? That would be quite rural if it's an hour drive. I mean, you could be 15-minute drive to retail and be rural. Mm, Okay. I think density and diversity are often, right? So when we think about urbanization, we're talking about density and diversity, right? That's generally the categories that are used to define. uh, And I think rural is probably the reverse of that, right? A lack of density and a lack of racial, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity Mm -hmm. is generally represented in the rural areas. And so what would be the unique challenges that face rural churches? A slower culture. Um, And that's not a bad thing. Hear me out. A slow pace, a slower culture is not bad. It's not, and it's not that faster is better. Um, It's it's just a matter of how you lead. The posture of how you lead is completely different in a a rural context. This is one of the things that I wanted to say earlier, um, Sam and Josh, that I think one of the things that's going to help us is I think there is, as Josh, you said, there was a time when sort of rural churches were seen as sort of somewhere to come, you know, learn the ropes and then you move on, right? And I think one of the things we're seeing is people recognizing that identifying personality and skill set can go a long way to being satisfied in different contexts than maybe would previously been true. In other words, there are people who will thrive in a rural context who would not thrive in a larger urban context. And people, I think the people who are successful and who view rural context, not as a stepping stone, but as a place to land, simply uh, sort of are driven by often different desires. I mean, we've talked about this before, but when you look at the fastest growing churches in America, almost all of them are marked by charismatic leadership and fast growing demographics. So if you're in a rural context, that's probably never going to be true for you. But what can be true is what what rural contexts generally do much better is that they have an extremely strong sense of family high work ethic, a lot of value in traditions and consistency. So someone who has a personality that lends itself toward those things can be very successful and enjoy themselves, be satisfied in a rural context where they would be very frustrated and dissatisfied in maybe a more rapidly growing or, or dense or diverse context. Neither of those situations are good or bad. And I think that's one of the things that's been a struggle. There has been an emphasis on the urban context of late over the last decade or so, and rightly so. That's where your larger population groups are. Growth is happening there. I get that. Uh, but I think there's been a, a sort of an assumed idea that if you go to the urban context, you are doing better. And if you're in a rural context, well, that's sort of inferior. And instead, I think we need to understand that there are different skill sets, different preferences, different personality styles that thrive in those environments. And I think a self-awareness on behalf of the pastor is going to help them be able to succeed longer over the longer term by identifying, hey, maybe I'm someone who enjoys family, slower pace of life, consistency, tradition, those sort of things. If that's me, then the rural context is where I'm going to be much happier. And I don't have to think that I have to move beyond this to be successful. Right. Uh, I think that's a great word. And let's not neglect how big the mission field is when we're talking about the United States. Just under 20% of the U.S. population lives in areas of 2,500 people or under. 
That's right. So we're we're talking about almost a fifth of the nation in terms of very rural. I would say that's a very rural context. I mean, you know, an area that has less than twenty five hundred people, mm-hmm. um, and also the trend of people leaving the rural areas that stopped in about 2010, 2011. So, the decline in rural populations actually started picking up uh, right around eight, nine years ago. And we're seeing rural areas, and I understand that's highly localized because some rural areas are still struggling and some some are growing, but we're actually seeing the influx of people back into rural areas. So, not only is this a large part of the nation, um, it's also no longer in decline. So, this is extraordinarily important that we don't miss the opportunity from a missiological perspective. We need more people to be passionate about the rural church. And Sam, to to sort of go on with that, I think we have to reset expectations and priorities, right? If you're in the rural church, your expectations, if, if you're in a if you're in a context where the demographics around you are 2,000 people, right, mm-hmm. and you are faithful there for 15, 20 years, and you see the church grow to 200 people. That's, that's massive. It's 10% that's incredible. of your population. and But at the same time, if your expectations are, I'm going to go to a big church with a big budget, have a big salary, have a bunch of staff, and that's what it looks like to be successful, you're going to have grown an incredible work. I say you're going to have grown. We all understand this is the work of God, sovereignty of God, so I want to be careful here. But you're going to have been a part of this incredible work, and you're going to be frustrated and dissatisfied. Right. And so recalibrating expectations, I think, is a pretty significant part of succeeding for the long term. And I mean, I'm, I'm in a context where our metro area in Chattanooga is 560,000 people. If we were to reach 1% of our metro, 5,600 people every weekend, which we're nowhere near close to that, though that is our goal. That's the goal we're working toward. It's going to take, I mean, the movement of God in 15, 20 plus years likely for us to see that. And then best case scenario, we're reaching 1% or less of our entire metro. You can be in a rural context and have a much bigger, more sustained, significant influence, albeit on a lower, smaller group of people. And, and somehow we've got to value that. The other thing we've got to value is we've got to value bivocational ministry. Absolutely. Bivocational ministry is not inferior ministry, right? Over, I'm over half of all pastors in America, bivocational pastors. We've got to say that there is value and there should be aspiration among many people toward bivocational ministry. Yeah, and we're actually, you know, we have, goodness, we have over 4 million people in our metro area. And we're actually, our staff is becoming more and more bivocational um, just because of the way that we're structuring our our ministry. Um, So, this is not even a rural, urban sort of divide when it comes to bivocational. Uh, We just need more pastors who are willing to be bivocational because the need is massive. It, 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 that The rural-urban divide doesn't matter at all when it comes to bivocational. That's but true. I will say many people who pastor in rural areas tend to be bivocational. And th- there is a nobility to that work. It's very hard work. It's very challenging. And you you know, hear these guys, you know, you, you talk to bivocational pastors and, um, and you know, it's funny because they'll, they'll say, oh, vacation? You get, you get vacation because right. I have to spend vacation days to do funerals. That's right. Yeah. You, you know, th- th- they're, they're, this, is, this is hard, hard work. Um, and there's there's an army of bivocational pastors out there that that we really need to be more supportive of uh, because guys, they are doing some incredible work. Have you guys been bivoc- bivocational? 
I have, yeah. I started, yeah. I started bivocational. I'm actually working my way back into bivocational because of some of my side projects. Well, I mean, so over 50% of my ministry has been bivocational up to this point. I've spent more time bivocational than not. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's just massive. And my, I grew up in a family with a bivocational dad, a pastor who was my dad. And to me, it needs to be understood we're not giving lip service when we say, hey, Praise God for the bivocational pastors. If right. the bivocational pastors don't exist, the church in America nearly does not exist, mm -hmm. right? And somehow we've got to affirm the value and to the degree where we encourage people to aspire toward bivocational ministry. Right. I think also in the positions that we are blessed to occupy or are assigned to um, by Christ that I, I don't feel that we often leverage Churches of the churches, kind of the size and the and the uh, resources that we all have, don't often leverage those resources to the strength of the bivocational church or to the strength of the normal sized church, because uh, we're we're worried about building those bigger kingdoms. And I know, like yesterday, our graphics team was looking at um, resource the church, a resource that Brainerd provides, resource the dot church, um, those sort of tools. But going beyond that, one of the things that I've done before and I like doing is just calling all of the rural churches, uh, the pastors, the, the bivocational churches, and, and on their schedule getting coffee or hanging out with them or, or, or going, you know, because these bivocational guys, as I sit and talk with them and have lunch with them and things, uh, they're often, they feel like I would like to uh, maybe lonely or isolated because a lot yeah. of the preacher things that we do, are like Monday afternoon, you know, and we all go to the Capitol and hang out, go, you know, do that kind of stuff. And because we can, um, yeah. they're police officers or they're teachers or they're, you know, they're, they're working in different roles. They can't just go to these things. And so, um, that's a really good point, Josh. I really, I, I need to do a good job. I don't, I haven't done that. That's a fantastic idea. So I've literally just taken the list and made sure I'm going down there. And another thing that I would encourage people to do is like, man, all three of us, we get books constantly every day all day like somebody sending us a book i just got one the other day by micah um you know they're just i did get a book from micah. moody publisher <laughs> just thought i would be interested and so uh you know we get all these resources and i've actually got like a uh, this kind of cool area in my office that anytime i'm meeting with a pastor particularly smaller church or bivocational i'll say hey do you want any of this here's some books here's some new bibles here's some nice things do you need any resources uh, these sort of things and just opening up those sort of things. So I'll go to coffee and bring three or four books and say, I just want you to have these. These are, these are cool things and nice resources. Um, we've told other churches, you know, you, you do those Bible studies. A lot of churches end up with these DVD sets, these Bible studies. We let them know this is what we've got. A lot of times I'll encourage our student ministry to, if you're going to book a couple charters to take the kids to camp, the church down the street, they're going to the same camp. They can't afford to do the charters. Let them just sit in those other, like, Pay for it for them. And I mean, I've gotten conversations before where people are like, so how much do we charge them? Zero dollars. We charge them nothing because we're, we have that resource. And if you just go to camp and you've got 15 seats open mm -hmm. and they could have just said it. So constantly thinking of the whole church and how you can leverage these resources that you have. Um, for them, I think it's a helpful way. To we we do the first. same thing when we, whenever we do our kids camps uh, for bivocational pastors in the community. We just include in our budget that we're going to pay for their kids to go to our camps. 
That's a cool. really cool. We, we don't do that either. That's also a fantastic idea. <laughs> so I think, I, mean, you know, I will say, a lot of, go ahead. Josh, you mentioned this and we need to update it. We've got a lot of content that's not on there yet, but we did create a website called resource, the dot church at Brainerd, where we put content on there that we create. We take our church branding off of it and we, we give it away. We're trying to find ways to help resource churches that maybe don't have graphic design artists and that sort of thing on staff. Uh, where we're creating stuff for our own church. There's no reason why we can't strip our branding off and then just give it away to you. So if you're a pastor who's at a smaller church and you want to have access to some sermon graphics, videos, there's a couple of Advent series on there, feel free to go grab resource.church and use whatever you can find. You know, we didn't mean to do this. Uh, it wasn't the intended goal by any means. But as we're talking about uh, rural churches or smaller context churches, those sort of things, there's often that single staff person. Um, and one of the ways that can help because they feel frustrated by the load of ministry, the expectations of ministry, those sort of things is the concept that is in your new book that I was just messing with you about. <laughs> leveling the church. That's a really good segue, Josh. I appreciate yeah. you doing that. You're welcome. Yeah. So we, uh, so, there is, so talk about uh, that. Go ahead. Yeah. So we've got a new book, uh, myself and Jeremy Maxfield, who served on our staff as our discipleship pastor and now as a writer and consultant. We uh, wrote a book uh, with Moody Press called um, Leveling the Church, and uh, it's built on Ephesians 4 as the premise. Basically, God gives leaders to the church for the express purpose of equipping the saints for works of ministry. In other words, leveling the playing field at the church instead of a clergy-laity divide, leveling the playing field. Uh, we're not talking about leveling the church in the sense of blowing the church up. We're talking about leveling the church in, in the sense of leveling the Oh field. man, I was looking and, forward to reading the book. <laughs> it is a gorgeous book, blow it, by the way. How to blow it up. Is that the subtitle? Yeah, no, thankfully not. It's uh, basically how to create a culture of multiplication in the church. And so we talk through cultural uh, barriers that keep you from doing that in your church. There's four primary barriers that we sort of identify and we walk through some biblical models of how to create cultures of multiplication, basically developing volunteer lay leaders in the church. I really think it's a helpful book. I've been using this concept I've been speaking about on this topic at conferences all over the country, actually all over the world over the past five or six years. And a good friend of mine, Daniel M., who used to work at Lifeway and now is a pastor up in Canada, pushed me a few years ago to really formulate this idea in a better way. And so we formulated it and put it together in a book and Moody put it together and, and it's going to be hitting the shelves January 7th. Now you guys got your copies this week, but right. uh, you can go on Amazon uh, or wherever you buy books and you can pre-order copies. Now I'd really encourage you. We've got some great endorsements, Kay Arthur and uh, Danny Aiken and Al Moeller and Russ Moore. And I mean, there's some JD Greer, some really, really do Tom Rayner, Sam, your dad uh, provided mm -hmm. one of the endorsements. And so there's, some I wonder if he really read the book or if he just gave Gave the endorsement. I, I don't know, but uh, I appreciate the endorsement either way. Timothy George. I mean, there's <laughs> there's really good. I, I was really excited that K. Arthur uh, signed off on it. Now we're going to find out if really Dr. Rayner listens it. to the show. He's going to send uh, Sam a text in the next week or so. <laughs> but so I, I, don't I really. Know if you noticed, but the dedication from Micah was to us, to the EST podcast crew. Oh. That's very sweet of you, Micah. Thank you for that. Yeah, well, we're going to see. If, we're we're going to see if Sam reads it or not as well, <laughs> and find out whether Josh is lying or not. <laughs> Believe it or not, I do plan to read the book. I am excited, um, and yes, because he is my dad. I, I it's fair game. To, trash talk is our love language. Mm -hmm. So, and whether he listens to this or not, I don't know. But yeah, I'm going to talk trash about my dad. It, it, you know, I got to. He's way up there on the pedestal. I got to pull him down just a little bit. Yeah. I'll well, I will. I will tell you. 
I mean, obviously, I'd love for you to read the book. We we wrote it because we want people to buy it. But in all honesty, y'all, this is a topic that I feel like the American church in particular fails spectacularly at. And it's a church that the Lord's been convicting. It's a concept the Lord's been convicting me about for over a decade now. We've been trying to implement. Still not 100%, still not perfect. We talk a lot about developing. Even as we speak right now, Jacob, who's one of my interns, is sitting here just across from me uh, listening as we record this morning, uh, it, it, which is part and parcel with uh, what we're talking about in the book. I really think it'll be a help to you and your church. I hope you'll I hope you'll grab a copy. Fantastic. It's definitely on my shelf to give away. And, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that I got it. After you read it. After I After read, you it. read it. <laughs> oh, man. My favorite feature is the cover, you guys. Is it uh, gorgeous got, or what? It's really nice. And it's I don't know how to describe it, but it's 3D. It's embossed. It's embossed. It's, embossed all yeah. right yeah they, they i'll tell you moody really went above and beyond with this book we've been really pleased uh, moody kudos, kudos to moody really as somebody moody. who does as somebody who does a little bit of publishing the book looks beautiful it, it really so does good good job there 186 yeah. pages guys it's not too much you can it do it it's about 30 35,000 words somewhere in that ballpark really encourage you doing that so uh Pretty much, I don't know that we talked a whole lot about rural church specifics, and maybe we could talk about that later, but some of the takeaways that I had from the conversation that are helpful is just that too often, I think there is a feeling of getting beat up, like I'm not where I want to be. Um, And some of that may be, maybe you're not, maybe you are skilled differently. I'll be completely honest. I love, there's something, there's something that draws me towards those Friday night lights and sitting at the the coffee shop kind of thing that's attached to a gas station kind of talking with some folks in the early morning, that rural lifestyle that's slow, that's fun. Um, that's, I love that. I'm drawn to that, but I could not live in that. I could not serve in that. I came from that and I know I'm not wired that way. So So there could be folks that way. We do love it, Josh. I mean, we, you know, we live, serve in Chattanooga, but we actually live in Ringgold, Georgia, a town of about 3000 people. My kids go Mm -hmm. to the Ringgold schools, which are small, um, smaller, you know, two A, three A schools in Georgia, and uh, we we love we we kind of enjoy where we're at because we get the best of both worlds. We get to right. serve in the city, and and I mean, literally from my house on Sunday mornings, there's no traffic, so I can get to my office in nine minutes. But we live in a rural community, and uh, I live on an acre of land. We love we love where we're at. All right. My point, you know, is just. Don't beat yourself up. Be where you be where you're gifted and you're called to be. Yeah, I completely right. agree with what Micah said. I call it. Uh, um, you know, coffee shop guys in sweet tea towns. Just make sure you are where you are supposed to be and the wiring that you are supposed to be in. Yeah. Um, and don't aspire to be something different. And I'm telling you, a lot of times they'll look at positions like maybe where I serve at second and it's like, man, that would be so fun. I'll tell you, it's super hard for me to spend 15 minutes with a human to sit down and to talk mm-hmm. to people, to to do like what we would normally consider one Who are you talking ministry. to? Robots? Um, my computer, <laughs> books, spreadsheets. That's that's the life we live. So um, just be where you are. Be encouraged by that. We appreciate bivocational pastors, rural church pastors, suburban, urban, all of them. Thanks for listening. And that's all the time we have for today. Get Micah's book, Leveling the Church from Moody Press. Pre-order it today on Amazon. And thanks for subscribing to us. Peace. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.